The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. We are continuing on this week in our Mythbusters series. So if you're new here, normally we would be working verse by verse through a specific book of the Bible. We will be returning to that very soon. Uh, I think September 15th we will start the book of Acts together and we'll be working through the book of Acts. But this summer we're just taking a slight detour and just spending a short time in a series called Mythbusters. And the idea of the Mythbusters series is that each week we're taking a different commonly held misconception um, or misunderstanding and trying to understand what the word really teaches us about that. Sometimes those are misconceptions that are held outside of the church. Things that people think about God, about the church, about the Bible, whatever it might be that are misunderstandings. Oftentimes, in fact, most of the times in the series that we've been going through so far, it's misconceptions that we actually hold within the church. Maybe things that we've said so many times, they kind of just become true, you know what I mean? Or, or bumper stickers we've seen enough, or maybe it's things that, that we hold to because it seems more comfortable. It seems like something we would rather believe than the truth. But the reality is, is that even the truth, if it pushes against us, it is always better for us because God's word is always wooing us towards joy. Amen, church? So what we're doing is we're looking at whatever that myth is, trying to understand where it came from, nuances of it, whatever the case may be. We're trying to dive into the word and understand what the actual word says and then why that truth is better for us than what's held before. Um, and so far, we've, held, uh, or we've gone through a couple of really good ones. Do you guys remember our exercise, what we're going to do when I name these out, just by the way? Because remember, if we have visitors and they were to just walk in right now and they heard me say, We've talked about how the Bible isn't reliable. They would be like, what kind of church am I in, right? So, so you guys know your role, right? Okay, so so far what we've covered is a perfect home guarantees perfect kids. Right on. Uh, we've covered that a valley means a wrong turn. The Bible is incompatible with science. Well, doing good surely means you'll get good. Nope. The Bible is unreliable. You're, you're tailing off. Finish strong for me here. Ministry is better left to the professionals. Well done, church. Thank you very much. Now, um, I'm, I'm going to add a quick tag on to what we talked about last week because it also sets us up for what we're talking about this week, if you'll do me that grace. Last week, we talked about this idea of ministry is for professionals. The rest of us have either jobs or careers or whatever the case may be in the secular world. There's what professional ministers do, and that's important, but what we do is separate. And I challenged you guys last week, I even made a couple specific challenges with you to look at your life wherever you are as ministry, and to even each day, starting out each day by going to the Lord beforehand and just saying, God, okay, wherever I go today, whatever you've got in front of me, I I don't want to miss it, and I want to be used. So Lord, what do you have for me today? And starting that every day out with that sort of mindset, realizing that whatever it is that you do, you're doing it on mission for God. Amen? Did you guys do that? Amen? There's a, uh, amen. All right, so new challenge. Again, I mean, we should start every day. And that's a, guys, this is a joy to start out every day talking to the creator of the universe and saying, what do you have for me today? And expecting that he will use you. It is a huge gift and a huge opportunity. And I, I want to, again, push on that because here's what happens. And this is, we kind of ran out of time to go down this rabbit trail last week. But, but I want to encourage you guys with this. When we segregate our life, ministry and secular life, 
there's God's time, and then there's like real life time, or regular life time, or my time, or whatever you want to call it. If you segregate your life into that, and then you're trying, and everyone's busy these days, amen? If you segregate your life into ministry and personal, which one's going to end up getting done first every time? Personal. Which one ends up being the leftovers? Ministry. Like our, everything leftover in our life ends up being what we give to God. And it's not even intentional usually. It's just the way that it works out. Everything becomes like, well, my leftover time, when I get done with these other things, I'll give that to God. My leftover resources or monies or whatever the case may be, my talents, my energies, all those things, man, when I can fit them in, I will. But you guys know just like me, when you don't make things a priority, they just don't happen. And we're like the busiest society on the planet right now, right? So start prioritize and go, man, my whole life is ministry. It's not something I have to find ways to fit in. It's something that I do every day. It's part of who I am and how God's created me. So God, today, what would you have for me as you walk out the door? I'm telling you, he'll use you for stuff. He will. Amen? So this week is kind of a, a dovetail into that. So in the past couple of weeks, we, we've taken two different topics that we're sort of going to combine today in a sense. Um, one of them is the Bible, we said, is reliable. Amen, church? And then last week, we talked about all of life is ministry. All of life is spiritual. All of life is God's. Amen? But so now we want to put the two together in a sense, this idea that the Bible is reliable for us and all of life is about ministry and service and God's will and cram them together and we're going to talk about the idea of finding God's will and how the scriptures get used for that. So we're going to start in Romans chapter 12. So the first two verses, which we actually used in last week's sermon as a, a launching pad as well, let's take a look. It says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, last week we talked about the priesthood and about the, the priesthood of believers and about how we now as Christians fulfill the old role of priest and that instead of bringing sacrifices to God, our bodies, our lives become a sacrifice to God. But important, important thing to understand it is not sacrifices we bring to God in order to gain forgiveness. It is not sacrifices we bring to God in order to gain favor. It's not sacrifices we bring to God in hopes he'll really like us this week. No, they're in response. That's what Paul says here, that our sacrifices that we bring to God, they are worship because it is rooted in what God has already done for us, specifically becoming the sacrifice himself on the cross. See, the book of Romans, if you haven't spent time in it for a while, might be a good season to jump in. It's a really good book, just to tell you. And the book of Romans starts out, though, it starts out dark. It starts out really, really dark. It it's, talks about how the world is dead in its sins. It's, it's doomed in its sins. It goes into the idea that, that man is, has gone down this abyss of sinful rebellion against God to the point that it even glories many times in the rebellion against God. It talks about how our sin has separated us from God and that that sin, the result, the payment, if you will, of that sin is death and that that is exactly where we're all headed apart from God. And you think, well, good thing we're looking for God. No, well, Romans even goes further and says, in addition to all that, not only are we headed down this abyss, if you will, but that also no one is looking for God. 
that we're so blinded by our sin that we're actually stuck in this wickedness, inward-focused, self-satisfying life that is headed towards death, and we have no hope of salvation except for God. And that's where Romans 5 kicks in with some pretty rad stuff. It says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That while we were blindfolded to his goodness and headed down a path, headed straight towards death, God intervened and Christ went to the cross on our behalf, paid the price for our sin and has saved us. And then it goes into these glorious passages about how God has called us, about how the Holy Spirit is in us and leading us, and then about how God is putting all things back together. Romans 8, like maybe my favorite book or chapter, I should say, in the whole Bible talks about how right now even creation itself is like grown for the day that everything's going to be fixed and restored and all of this stuff is being put back together by God and it's just this incredible story and the idea when you read through all these things we see man we are so hopeless we are so lost but then look how good God is and he didn't just forgive us of our sins but he's going even further he's fixing everything he's putting the whole world back together look how amazing God is the result of that is not intended to go well I better work for him The result is supposed to be worship. Like, God, you are so good. This is incredible. And then, as Paul says here in Romans chapter 12, the proper response to something like that is to say, God, I'm in. Here I am, send me. Whatever I can do for you is an offering of worship given to you because you have been so good for me. It's not work that I'm trying to do to get you to like me. It's a gift given to you in response to the work you've already done on my behalf. Really important distinction. Everybody got that? So when I say, man, all of your life is ministry and we should wake up every morning and say, God, how can you use me? I don't mean every morning you get up and go, all right, I better be good. God, what do you want? Wrong way to approach it. Wrong way to approach it. It's waking up every morning preaching the gospel to yourself every morning, reminding yourself who God is and what he's done for you every morning, and in response going, Lord, whatever you want, I'm just here and available. If you're putting the world back together and you're restoring all things, and today you want to use me in some way, you want to bring someone across my path, I am in, I lay all my intentions down and say, you have your way with me as it is, may your will be done in my life as it is in heaven, you might say. Amen, church? So it's worship, it's we get to do this for a God that has done so much for us. But he says in verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So the question then begs is this, like, okay, I want to do God's will. He's done so much for me that in response and in worship, I want to to do whatever God's will is. I want God's will accomplished in my life. I hope we would all say amen to say that's what I want. Amen? Amen. So what's God's will in your life? Like, I, I taught a college Bible study for several years, years ago, and that was the most commonly asked question I got week in and week out by all these kind of college and career age kids over and over and over who would come in and they go, I'm just trying to figure out what God's will is for my life. I'm trying to figure out exactly what it is he wants me to do. And it seemed like it was this puzzle that everyone was trying to put together and trying to figure out. And I got to be honest, early on especially, I wasn't totally sure how to answer that question for him either. 
And especially as a pastor, I felt really uh, skittish in going too far to answer that question because one of the things you do learn in ministry, though we, we sort of debunked some of this myth last week, like saying that like my prayers aren't like more powerful than yours or any of that kind of stuff. Um, but what I did realize, though, is that because of the, the position God had called me into, people did put extra weight on some of the words that I would share in a way that maybe they wouldn't through just a normal conversation with friends. And I found that out the very first time in a way that was like a oh no. Because there was a gal that was in our, our group. It was in this college Bible study that I was leading. And she was running, she was like producing this one local newscast. Like she ran the whole thing that would happen every single night. It was a really cool job for a young gal to have somehow ended up in. And she was running this whole show, producing this news show. And it even that year won a national Emmy. She won an Emmy as producer for a local news show. Like it was a cool opportunity. And then one day she came up to me and she was like, your message last week about God's will and all this kind of stuff really spoke to me. And so this week I quit my job. And I was like, why? Why would you do that? It's not my fault. (laughs) Now, praise God. As she walked through her process and what she was doing, it was something God had been speaking to her life over and over and over for a very long time. That week's Bible study just happened to be confirmation of something she knew she had to do all along. And she ended up going into ministries where she was serving, helping the needy. It was just this awesome transition for her. And it totally suited her in a really, really good way. But that whole question, like, what is God's will? What are we supposed to do? How do we find God's will? Now, the myth for this week... I'm using the word myth a little bit loosely. Um, It's less about a saying that people have. It's more about a process people tend to take on that I'm pushing against. But for lack of a better turn, uh, this week's topic would be, let's call it this. The Bible is my life owner's manual. Anybody ever heard that? Or said it? I have. I'll go first. I've said it. I've taught that. I've said those kind of things before, and, and there's some truth to it. So I need to give a little bit of a, a disclaimer here, because here's where I get a little nervous. Like, I don't want to ever, in some of these things that we're doing them, pound on things that maybe people have been doing, thinking, or believing in such a way that it gets people to a point where they're like, I don't even know how to read the thing then. I'll just stay away from it and just listen to Jeff all the time. That would be a really bad idea. Okay, so today's topic, uh, this idea of the Bible is life's owner's manual or the Bible is God's blueprint for my life, there's elements of truth to it, so I'm, I'm playing a little bit with the idea of myth. What I'm talking about is primarily the way that we go about using the Bible in things such as that, okay? Because there'll be different things that you can hear said that have elements of truth, and I'm not trying to crush you in this, but I want to process through the right way we go about it, Amen. So things like the Bible is life's owner's manual, uh, God has a specific blueprint for my life, or the scriptures are my roadmap to what I'm supposed to be doing, or um, I call it like, whether it be Ouija board or magic eight eight ball use of the Bible. Do you guys know what I'm talking about there? Like, Lord, just what college am I supposed to go to and what what major should I do? Uh, Let's see how this actually turns out. Uh, Somebody say stop. The steadfast love of God's, why do you boast of evil, O mighty mad? The steadfast love of God endures all day. Your tongue plots destruction. Tongue plots destruction. God wants me to be an oral surgeon. <laughs> like a sharp razor, you work up to say, razors, surgery, oral surgery, that's it. I'm going to a U of O and I'll go pre-med. That's what I'm going to do. Now, we chuckle, 
but I know people that have done that. I know specific people, good-hearted people, and maybe you have done that, maybe I have done that at different series, seasons of life, or maybe in less ridiculous ways. So I'm not trying to crush anyone who has a heart to go seek after God's will in their life. Of course I'm not trying to do that. But that can be dangerous, too. Like, I, I know one person many years ago that was doing that very same thing with Scripture, and I tried to remember what the passage was in, in hopes that it would make a little bit of sense, and I couldn't remember what it was, but she, in reading the Word, came, became completely convinced in that, doing it sort of that same style that God had told her that her husband was actually going to be passing away within the next year, and she needed to prepare herself. And so she started, like, filtering everything in her Christian experience through that lens, preparing for the day that her husband was going to die. And, and the part that was unintentional about that is she started to protect her own heart, thinking this was actually coming, started separating her heart from her husband. Not on purpose, as a form of self-preservation. And it ended up in a place where their marriage was in a horribly, horribly dangerous place. And that, that's not the way that we're supposed to approach the Scripture. That's not what the Bible's for. It's not some magic eight ball. You'll hear people go, no, the Bible has all the answers. It actually doesn't. If the question is, how do I change the oil on my Chevy Silverado, the Bible does not have all the answers to that question, right? Now, the Bible is, er is uh, um, without error, it's inerrant, it is effectual, it is useful in everything that the Bible intends to do. Please hear me say that again. The Bible is perfect and complete in everything that it intends to do. But what does it actually intend to do? That's the question, because the Bible is not intended to be a cookbook for every area of our life. And, and you need to know what the purpose of a tool is when you have it, therefore you use the tool properly, amen? Because if you have a Phillips head screwdriver, but the thing that you need to tighten up is a flathead screwdriver, it's not going to work out so well, right? And it might lead to frustration and a poorly done job. So we need to understand when we're talking about this idea of how we use the Bible to discern God's will or even that mentality of like the Bible is my roadmap to a blueprint for my life or, the, or you know, that kind of thing. The Bible is the perfect answer book or all those kind of things. We should understand, well, the Bible has an actual purpose though. And so to get things out of order and use it outside of its purposes might work out sometimes, might not work out sometimes. So we should understand what those are. So we're going to be spending more time today talking about how we actually discern the will of God. Because God is not a galactic tease that has one path for you in life, and he's like, all right, Hobbit, go on your quest. Like, that's not what God's about. That was for you Lord of the Rings geeks out there. That is not what God's about. I hope you find your way to what it is I call you to do. That's not the case at all. God is intimately involved in our life, and God guides directs and leads his people. And does God have a plan for his children? Yes. So he's not a tease and it's not just some like navigable path that I hope we got the wrong one and I hope that by the time we hit 50 we don't turn around and realize this wasn't God's path now I have to change everything. That's not how God works. But before we go down the idea of how does God reveal his will I want to first make sure we nail down what is the purpose of the Bible and why that's really important? Because the purpose of the, of the Bible is very specific. The overarching number one reason we have this book in our hand 
is not so that any one of us can find our roadmap to our blueprint or purpose in life. It's so that we can know God and know that Jesus Christ has died for our sin. That's why we have the Bible. The entire Bible, it's not so much an answer book, it's, it's not a, a, a book of wisdom, it, it's not an instruction manual, it's good news is what it is. It's a declaration of what God has done for us through the person of Jesus Christ and the salvation and family ship under God that is available to all of us. It is God's revelation of his ongoing redemptive plan for all of humanity. That's what the Bible first and foremost is. Now you would go, well, okay, I believe all that stuff. I get all of that, but, but isn't it like there's still wisdom in there, right? I mean, there is a book of Proverbs that's like a whole bunch of how to do things and how not to do things, right? Yes, there's great advice in the Bible. There's incredible wisdom in the Bible. There's tons of instruction in the Bible. But listen, the idea is this. It, it's proclamation before it's application. Hear me on this. The Bible is proclaiming something before it's telling us to do something. Okay? And, and that, that works itself out really in really important ways. Like we talked about before, the idea of worship instead of work. That if you don't understand what the Bible is proclaiming that God has done, then all the application stuff is just going to be work. It's going to be stuff you're doing to earn favor or to put yourself in better positions. It won't be a response of worship to what God has done in the past. So that's first and foremost. But here's the other part that makes it a little bit dangerous. If we only approach the Bible all the time about like, so what does this mean to me? What, what is God saying to me? What is God directing me? What is the path for me? Um, we, we end up kind of getting things a little bit backwards and you can accidentally make the Bible about you instead of making the Bible about Jesus. Let me give you an example. Uh, the feeding of the 5,000. Anybody ever heard that story before? It's quite a story, right? And if you've been growing up in the church, if you've heard that story a million times, it becomes really easy to want to make a jump to what does this thing mean? Because you've already heard it. You know where I'm going to go. You can't remember for sure, was it two fish and five loaves or five fish and two loaves, but it was seven of something. And, and, but at the end, there were 12 baskets. I remember that part. And, and we remember all the thing, and maybe we've heard, oh, it's 5,000, but it's probably more than that because they usually didn't count women. And, and you remember parts of the story, you already know it before I start telling you the story. Most of you do. And so here's what can happen. We can read through the Bible, you're, you're, you're by your coffee, you're, you're in your happy place, reading your devotions that morning, you come to that story, and because you already know it, you read through the story of the feeding of 5,000 really fast, and you jump straight to application and go, now what does that mean for me? but it's supposed to make you stop and say, wow. Like the goal should first be, Jesus is pretty amazing. The, the, the idea is it goes to worship before it goes to work. And when we jump straight to application too quickly, we skip this whole idea of awe. And you become numb to the stories that the idea of the Bible is to make us look at Jesus and go, this is incredible. And what does it say about him first? It says that he is the source of anything that I could need. He is the one that will fulfill my desires. He is the one that will take care of his own. He is the bread of life. He is the source of everything that I need. In Jesus is everything I could possibly need. He's taken care of me. He will even take care of me right down to what it is I need to eat. He loves me. He's incredible. And look how he can do it in ways that no one else could do. Wow, Jesus is amazing. 
amazing. And then maybe by point three or four, at least, we get to, so what do I do in response to that? Does that make sense? Like, I'm not saying the Bible doesn't have wisdom. It has tons of wisdom. I'm not saying that we shouldn't read the Bible and go, so then what does God have for me in this? We absolutely should. But as a secondary point to understanding what God is saying about himself in the Bible. Does that make sense, church? Y'all with me on that? So I'm not trying to crush application readings of the Bible. I'm going to give you some application today. But it's got to start with awe. Because look, if we're not in awe of God, why would we follow him in the first place? Like, why do you want his will for your life if you're not understanding how amazing he is in the first place? So start with awe and then get to, hmm. Make sense? And sometimes, amen, I love, love it when Kiara's here. <laughs> so that's what I want to say first and foremost. The Bible is about Jesus. The Bible is not about us. Jesus said it himself, right? He, the road to Emmaus, we just studied it in Luke. He sat with these guys and he, said, he showed them how everything in the Bible spoke to him. So it's after knowing who he is, we go, so then how does this, what does this mean to me? And how does this apply to me knowing who God is? Start with awe. I think a lot of us, who, especially people who have been in the church for a really, really, really long time, and we accidentally get numb to things because we've learned them over and over and over and over, I think sometimes we have to fight to recover our sense of awe because things just get so familiar. And I would say, church, fight for that. Like, be in awe at the feeding of the 5,000 again. Amen? Do it. And you want to know one of the ways that you can remember that awe? A little side note, it's not in my notes, I'm going to give it to you anyway. Telling somebody who doesn't know that story, that story. Like, you tell a story like that to someone that doesn't know it, and you start talking about what Jesus did, and then watch their face, and you'll remember it, and you'll feel it again. Share the Bible. Amen? That's a side note. That's for free. Okay, so my concern today is more about the processes that we might use, right? Our approaches to the Bible as we're trying to discern what God's will is for my life. And then one other thing that we need to do before we get into this idea, I, I want to I make a, a real clear uh, um, differentiation between the types of calling that God makes. Because that's what we're talking about. What is God calling me to do? What is it that God wants me to do? If my whole life is his and he, my whole life is to be worship and response, then what is, it, what is it he's asking me to do? And the, the, the churchy word is it's calling. What is he calling you to do? And there's a couple of different types of calling that I think are really important that we lay out. The first one is this. Um, the first way that God calls us is he's calling always people who are dead in their sins to life. Please understand that. And I want to start there because this is what I want to say. If you're in here and you've never understood the gospel, if you've never given your life to Jesus and you're wondering too, you, you know there's a God and you know he's got some sort of plan but you don't really know, then I would say step one for you, he's calling you to understand his goodness, his grace, his mercy, and to become his son. That's the first calling. Uh, it says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it says, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And what Paul's saying here is this. There's this call, this gospel, this understanding of who God is that goes out to everyone. Now, to some people, they're going to hear that and they're going to see it as foolishness. What? God? 
You're going to follow God. You can't see him. You don't know that a God. He, why would you do that? It's just stupid. Just whatever. You're following myths. Like, you know, we know that, right? Many people believe Christianity as a whole is a myth, and they would look at what we're doing as foolishness. Other people might even believe that some of this is true, but to them, it's more of a stumbling block. They, they might look at things and go, I kind of hear what you're saying, but I don't think I want to give up what I'm doing. I don't think I want to go down some of that. That just seems too hard. That seems like a hassle. I don't want anything to do with it. They don't want anything to do with it. But some people hear God calling them, respond to the gospel as God's grace works in their life and works in their spirit, and they are changed and transformed in that moment. And so that, first and foremost, to everyone in this room, you need to understand, God is calling you to give your life to him in response to the reality that Jesus Christ came and died for your sin, to give you forgiveness and that you might be adopted into the family of God. And so if you're here today and you make that decision, then after service, we want to meet with you. We want to talk with you. Or someone sitting next to you, there's Christians all around here that are already in the family that would want to welcome you into that family. God is calling you. My encouragement to you, respond to the gospel call. Amen, church? The second type is a little bit different. There's a second type of calling that is the way God calls us into these irrevocable covenants. And the, the best way to examine, or the best or most common example of that would be one of marriage. And here's why I want to I separate these out and make this point. Um, in marriage, God has called men and women into this relationship that is a once and forever, no backing out. What God has joined together, let no man separate. He's called marriages into a lifelong commitment to one another. And that is important to understand because the third type of calling is different from that. In a marriage, you do, it, it's, it's an eternal covenant, at least through till death do us part. That's the calling. That's different than, say, the calling in a job. Because you can change jobs. I have. Amen? We've done that. So there's different kind of calling. So the primary thing that we are focusing on today is that one. So in other words, nobody gets to sit here and go, yeah, I think God's calling me down a certain road and I, don't, I should have paid attention before I got married, so I'm going to ditch this dude and move on. We'll cover that topic also later when we cover the idea of soulmates. That's going to be one of our myth things. I just got to find my soulmate. And that one is false, but we'll deal with that later, right? So the third type of calling is more of a process. The third type of calling is the process by which God leads his people into areas of fruitfulness for his glory and for his kingdom. Let me say that again. When we talk about God's will for our life, God's plan for my life, what is it God's leading me to do? We're talking about the process by which God leads his children into areas of fruitfulness and joy. That's what we're talking about. Everybody got that? The process by which God leads his children. And he does this. Like I said, he's not a distant God that is just off in the distance going, all right, I saved you, and I want to get the world back together, so uh, go do good things. And then just stands back and does nothing. That's No, he's a personal God who is intimately involved in our lives. And so today we're talking about calling as the process by which God leads his children into areas of fruitfulness and joy in their life. That's calling. Amen? So how does he do that? How does that work? Well, I'm going to give you guys six ways in which God acts to do this. Again, important to understand, God is active. 
instructing to do these things. These are things God is pushing forward. He's not back going, hope you figure it out. God is gifting us opportunities to discern where he's leading us to be in our lives. Amen? And it's a joy to discover these things. So there's primarily about six areas or six ways in which God reveals or can help us discern what is good, his acceptable will, his perfect will for our life, like Romans 12 tells us about. And so we're going to just go right through them. So if you're taking notes, write these down. If you're not taking notes, start becoming a note taker like right now and write them down. Number one, prayer. Number one, prayer. I know that sounds like, uh, duh, but really important, prayer. I mean, look what James tells us in James 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. I think there's a difference when we pray expecting God to answer a prayer like that. If, if you go into a prayer and you go, man, I just can't figure this out. I sure hope I can find it. I, I think there's a difference between, God, you promise me in your word, you will give me wisdom in decisions that I need to make. And I've got a big one here. What do I do with this? What is my direction here? What does the next season of life look like? And by the way, if you're, uh, let me just say, of the older generation and you're like, well, I've already retired. My path's over. Uh-uh. God's will is never, God's not done with you. He could be leading you to do anything, and he definitely is leading you to help coach the younger generations as they try to figure this out. Amen? So stay tuned. Everybody say, stay tuned. All right. I wasn't going to say everybody over 50 say that. I'll just have everybody say that, right? Okay. But, but this is the idea, right? If you go into prayer like this, you go, God, look, right, it's right in your word. You made a pro- You promise? Like, pray with that expectation. People do that in the Bible all the time. Moses would even go to God and say, for your name's sake, because you have said you are this and this and this and this, and we really need this right now, so Lord, I am calling on your name even. And here he is promising, hey, I will give wisdom to my children. When my kids ask me for help, I'll give them wisdom. And, and that's what a good father would do, right? Like if our kids are saying like, dad, I don't know what to do about this or this or this, what good father goes, that sounds tough, hope you figure that out. That's not what God does. He promises wisdom. And so I would go to him in prayer and say, you are my father, as Jesus called us to pray, right? Our father who is in heaven. And say, father, you promised me wisdom and I'm coming to you. I want to talk to you. I I need some help. So it starts out with prayer. Amen? Number two, the scripture gives us a godly worldview. The scripture gives us a godly worldview. And here's what I mean by that. The Bible does teach us a worldview, a way of looking at life and the world through God's eyes in accordance with God's standard, even better than that, in accordance with God's character, a way of looking at the world. And it does it in such a way that some things are clearly defined or delineated as good and some things are clearly defined and delineated as bad. And as those who are children of God, there are some things or some ways of doing things that are just not on the table for us. So in other words, if we were trying to discern what can I do, what, if you're a college kid or a high school kid trying to figure out what you're going to do for your career for the rest of your life, well, there's a few things that you can just take off the table right away. Like, you probably are not going to be able to fulfill God's will as a pornographer. 
right? Amen? Okay, I just, I expected more response to that. I don't know, that was just a little weird. Some of you looked puzzled, and I was like, we do know this, right? (laughs) Okay, just making sure. Um, a, A livelihood as a thief is not an option for a Christian, Right? Um, and, and even more so, like, even if you're, you're leading a business, uh, lying or cheating or stealing as a way of operating your business and making a way of life is just not an option for those who are believers. Does that make sense? So right away, we understand one of the ways that God guides us is he delineates, here are things that are available to my children. Here are things that are not helpful, probably hurtful, definitely sinful, and don't reflect me. So those things are just off the table to begin with. So that's good to know, right? Sometimes people are like, I, I think God's leading me to, to do this or that, or, you know, um, and you're just like, really? Like, drug dealer? I don't think, can we read the Bible together a little bit? I don't think that's going to come to that conclusion if you do that, right? Uh, Doctor, yes. Abortion doctor, uh, we should chat. So God's scriptures give us a worldview that guides us and gives us uh, boundaries for that decision. Amen? Okay, that's number two. Number three is this. Scriptures show us True needs in the world, this is a long sentence if you're taking notes, I'm sorry, I'll say it a few times. Scripture shows us true needs in the world and calls us to live with those in mind. Let me say that again. Scriptures show us true needs in the world and call us to live with those needs in mind. And and here's what I mean. As Christians, Paul even talks here in this passage, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Verse 2, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. So right away, he's saying, you live differently than the rest of the world. And one of the ways that he's called us to do that is that we are not to live as self-serving, self-me worshipers. In other words, what we want, what we desire, what we like is not the overriding goal. We are not to live our lives in a constant, uh, um, a constant motion or a constant exercise of self-love. Instead, the Bible actually says we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. So in other words, this. If God's will is not that we gain the most of everything and the best of everything and the most pleasures and everything and just become gluttonous on all the things we like. Instead, God calls us to live in such a way that we're aware of what other needs are. And as good neighbors to people around us, we should be living with motives that want to serve and fill some of their needs as if it was ourself. Does that make sense? So we, we don't have the option of becoming selfish, gluttonous people. That's not what we're called to. And again, what's the motive for this? It's worship. It's because there's a God who is rich above all, had the position above all, comfort above all, all of those things. And he set all of that aside to come and humble himself, live a difficult life, go through really hard things, and inevitably die for us because we had a need of salvation. So he didn't live just with his own fleshy desires, even as Jesus walked the earth. He says, nevertheless, what? Not my will, but thine. It'd be a lot more comfortable if I didn't have to go die, Jesus, or Jesus would say. It'd be a lot more comfortable, but I want what you want for me, God, because there's needs here. These people have great, great, great need, and he calls us to live in accordance with those needs. Amen? So we have that. That's number three. Number four, it's a little bit longer too, but you could shorten it as you want. Number four is this. God has granted every Christian giftings, talents. I would even go say as to say personalities. 
that matter towards what it is we're to be doing with our, with our life. Let me explain it this way. Look at Romans 12, beginning in verse 4. He says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given us. So these are gifts that God has given everybody by His grace. Let us use them. And then he goes through this list. There's those with prophecy, um, that's uh, proclaiming the truth of God's word. Um, there's those who are uh, serving one another. They're just people who love to serve. There's some who are teachers. There's those who exhort and encourage one another. There's those who, who contribute, those who are just givers. And God's blessed them with resources, and they're able to just give and support others. That is a gift that God's given you to do those things. All of these different things, here's what he's saying. Say, look, we're all designed differently. We've all been di given different giftings, opportunities, personalities, and we should understand what it is we have available and how God's made us because we aren't just made, we are designed. Amen? We're designed with a purpose in mind. And so we should want to live that purpose. And I'll, I'll give you a great example. Um, at one point in my life, before doing this, I was actually an engineer. And I was an engineer because I didn't take some of the, I didn't have some of this wisdom right here. I didn't take some of this stuff very seriously. I didn't spend a lot of time seeking out God's will for my life. I didn't really know what else I wanted to do. And my dad had been an engineer and seemed like that'd be okay. So I guess I'll do that. I'll go be an engineer. Well, that was stupid. And here's why. Number one, I am a crazy extrovert people person. You may have noticed, right? So sitting at a computer all day, doesn't suit me. Number two, I'm bad at math. That's a problem for an engineer. <laughs> if someone had just told me that early on, Jeff, you're going to be an engineer? Yeah, I think I'm going to be an engineer. You know that's a lot of math, right? So, yeah, so I'll be a lawyer. <laughs> like I would have changed. I just didn't think. And I didn't, and I didn't have young people, anyone speaking wisdom into my life about these things. And I should have sought it, but I didn't have it. You go seek it. Don't waste years of your life and thousands and thousands of dollars on a college degree that's, I don't even know where it is right now. It's in my house somewhere. And, and then, oh, by the way, and I tend to be big picture oriented, not detail oriented. That's really bad for an engineer. <laughs> this bridge looks amazing. It's super glued together, dude. <laughs> ah, it's just details. Yeah, really bad for an engineer. But the reality is, is like God's designed me and wired me in a specific way with specific talents, with specific giftings, specific inclinations, even specific personality to do certain things. And, and one of the things that we should spend some time doing is try to understand who we are in all these things and, and find ways of living in areas that match up with how God has designed us to live. Amen? Now, disclaimer, because you can take that and go to a really bad area and go, therefore, God's will for me is to always live in a place where I feel comfortable. And that's not true. That doesn't mean that we don't do hard things. That doesn't mean that God hasn't designed us in certain ways to do certain things. And so I used to do this really bad with the idea of evangelism. Evangelism, sharing the gospel with people that don't know Jesus. Um, I, I used to look at that and go, man, it was just walking cold up to somebody on a street corner. Like some people are just like street witnessing people and they love it and it comes easy to them. That is not me. Some of you, if you were here right now, you'd be like trembling, public speaking kind of a thing. It's like the number one fear in the world is public speaking. That's, I have the most dangerous job in the world apparently. But um, sometimes it feels that way. But like right now, I'm, there's, I have no fear. This is fine for me. 
But being out on a sidewalk, if you're like, that dude right there looks like he doesn't know Jesus. Go, Jeff, go strike up a cold conversation with that guy and start talking to him. I'd be like, are you sure? He looks saved to me. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so here's what I did. I started reading about all these gifts, and I was like, well, I have the gift of like proclamation or prophecy or teaching or whatever. I don't have the gift of evangelism, but some other people do. Therefore, I don't have to worry about, I don't need to do evangelism. I just get to do up here and preach and they'll go do that part. And we as the body of Christ all work together and I don't have to worry about it. False. Thank you. I was really hoping somebody was going to say that. (laughs) Absolutely false. We are all called to share the gospel with people. And we might do it in different ways, but we are all called to do that. And one of the parts about like living your life in such a way that you're expecting that God might use you in specific situations that you live in is that you are going to come across people in your day-to-day life that won't be in here while I'm preaching. And so who's going to tell them? You are. So don't hear me say, hey, you're wired to do something that you fit so naturally in, it'll be a piece of cake. Don't worry about that. That's not true. We are all called to do things that are difficult. What Jesus said, hey, following me is difficult. Count the cost going in because it's pricey. So we need to understand that. But a really good, one of the guides that we have is like, hey, God's wired you a certain way. Even in our staff, we've got guys like Aaron that are like really systems-oriented and can think about numbers and processes in a way that I, I wish I, that's not true, I don't wish, I, I hate it, I don't want anything to do with it, but I'm, I, I, wish, I, I wish I liked it, how about that? But uh, whatever the case may be, like there's guys that are wired a certain way, so on our staff, we want to make sure that people are sitting in the right seat on the bus, so to speak, that they're using the gifts that they have for the kingdom of God. Sometimes that feels really natural and comfortable, but that doesn't mean that, you know, we talked about this back in the whole valley means a wrong turn kind of, it doesn't mean that, oh, everything's easy when you're following God. Absolutely not. We are called to do hard things. We're called to grow. We're called to fight against the flesh. We're called to do all sorts of things that are not easy. But the giftings that God's given us can be a really helpful guide. You are designed with a purpose. So spend some time figuring that out if you never have. Amen? What number was that? Four? Let's go to number five now. Uh, Number five, God has given to us the gift of wise counselors. That's one of the ways, again, how does God guide his people to where he wants them for places of fulfillment and, and, and joy? And one of them is God has given to us the gift of wise counselors. So Proverbs 11, 14 says this, where there is no guidance, a people fails, or falls, excuse me, but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Um, my calling into vocational ministry, now, I, I didn't use a lot of counselors when I was getting, you know, going to college and ended up out in the engineering world. I kind of just made that decision on my own. It was a bad decision, and I ended up really hating that job. The call out of that into vocational ministry was confirmed, and my life was spoken into by many godly people who knew me, who knew my giftings, who knew my personality, who knew my background, who knew all those kind of things, who were praying for me, and who spoke into my life, both confirming the calling that I felt and also helping me prevent going down roads that would have been really, really unhelpful. So one of them, the first opportunity that I ever had to go be lead pastor of a church was in Happy Camp, California. How many of you guys have ever been to Happy Camp, California? 
you're clearly either into Bigfoot or pot, because I think that's all that's there in Happy Camp, California. And by the way, I think those two are related, just so you know. I, I, I think it is. Dude, I think that's Bigfoot, bro. <laughs> no, dude, that's my mom. No, whatever it is. Um, sorry. Stay on your notes, Jeff. Stay on your notes. Sorry. <laughs> Happy Camp, California. And so when that opportunity came up, I was like, well, I mean, I've been praying for this opportunity. I've been praying for a lot of years, and, and, and maybe that's what I'm supposed to do. And, and I, it, it seems like that might be the only option open to me right now. And maybe I could, you know, do that for a while. And I, I don't know. And so I started going to some of these different people that I really, really trusted that, and, and just said, hey, listen. And, and I thought I was going to them, like, with good news. I was like, hey, guys, listen, they've asked me to go be lead pastor at this church in Happy Camp, California. And everyone's immediate response was like, ugh. No, I'm not hating on happy, well, I'm, yeah, I am. But everyone, literally every single person I talked to who even knew how bad I wanted to make that kind of transition was like, I don't know if that fits you, man. And, and, and like, what about your family? What's your wife going to do in happy camp? Like, I mean, just things like that that I started, as I started kind of adding all this stuff up, both friends and family, I started realizing like, Seems like God would probably give me a thumbs up from somebody in my life, and I'm getting none. I don't think this is God's will for me. And so listen, we are not supposed to make these giant life-changing decisions in a vacuum. The church, even, is a community of love and wisdom to be used. So ask people. When you're like, man, I just, I'm trying to figure out this next season. I'm trying to figure out where God, uh, this, this decision's here, and I don't know what God really wants me to do. So you're trying to navigate all that kind of stuff. Man, ask people. Ask people that you trust that are godly around you and see what they say. It's one of the aspects that we have. Amen? And then the last one is this, number six. God places a strong, God places strong desires in our heart. Parentheses in our holiest moments. That's a John Piper add-on. It's really important. So let me say that again. God places strong desires in our hearts, parentheses, in our holiest moments. Here's what I mean by that. Um, This is rooted out of Scripture. Psalm 37, 4. It's one of the most commonly quoted verses when people are trying to figure out what God wants for their life. Psalm 37, 4 says this, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Everybody heard this verse? It's a great verse. Um, I've heard it summarized before. You'll hear people say things like, love God and do what you want, which is fine. That's the idea. Love God, do what you want, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Here's the problem. Jeremiah tells us something about the heart and its desires, right? Jeremiah says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So what do you do there? Follow your heart, which is desperately sick and broken and all messed up. So what do you do? So here's what it's saying. First of all, you need to understand this. If you are not walking with God at all, whether you're unsaved or whether you're a Christian just in a season like everyone has at times of, of whether you, you, you feel separate from God, you're, you're walking in sin or you're not in fellowship with him, you're not praying, you're not connected with him, whatever the case may be. God's will for your life is a really easy question to answer at that point, okay? God's will for your life is 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 3. For this is the will of God, 
your sanctification. In other words, this is the will of God, your holiness. So that's first and foremost. If you're, if you're not with God, you need to understand that your heart is broken, your heart is separated from God, and your heart is deceitful and wicked. So one of the myths we could have taken on, um, it's not so much a myth about Christianity, but it's one you hear out there. You'll hear people all the time, just follow your heart. Never follow your heart unless your heart is following God. Like never follow your heart. Decisions and passions that come out of ungodliness are not leading you towards productivity and fruitfulness. They tend to be really, really hurtful and bad for you. Amen? Everybody with me on that? That was weak. Amen? Okay. Okay. But if you are if you are walking with the Lord, if you are in step with Him, if you are in worship with Him, all that kind of stuff. He, he will put desires in your heart. I'm convinced of it. And I don't mean flash-in-the-pan desires, like, you know, the ADHD young people who are just video games. I think I want to do this now, and I think I want to do this. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking like straight-up burning desires over time as you're walking with God. Like, he'll do that. He'll plant things in you. And so, like, one of the things now, if somebody's like, man, I just, I don't know what God wants for me to do. One of the things after, if you want to talk with them about their relationship with God first, then just go, so what do you want to do? Because I'm actually convinced in some moments of our life, and for some people, God has specific things that he wants them to do and specifically calls them into, sometimes and at different seasons. But overall, I'm not the guy that believes Man, we, there's one specific path and every detail God is going to frown on you if you step outside. I, what God wants more than anything is just our worship, honestly. And so I, I, I think a lot of our decisions, if I can say it this way, it's, this is a, a really dangerous way of saying it, but God doesn't care so much as he cares about where our heart is. Does that make sense? So follow God. And then see what desires are there. See what God's calling you to do. What do you want to do? Man, if you're worshiping God, if that thing fits your talents, you got people speaking into your life, and you're like, yeah, I think I want to do this, then go do it and worship God with your life. Have a blast serving God in this way. Amen? Amen. This is, it, and it's good to wrestle with these things. God's wooing you towards joy. But the Bible itself, first and foremost, if I can round it back up and close this out, it's not about us, primarily. It's good for us. It's got instruction for us. It's got teachings that will help us and guide us and all of these kind of things. But listen, it's about Jesus. This book's about Jesus. And all of these things, including finding God's will for our life, is meant to be an act of worship in response to who Jesus is. So right now, the guys are going to come up. And we're going to close with some time of worship as we do in response. What we do here after the teachings is we want to respond to God, and we do it in different ways. Some of you might want to do some, do some work with God right now. You might want to pray and say, God, I need some direction. I need some help. I'm wrestling here. You might want to seek him right now. I would encourage you, go do that. Spend some time with him. Do that. Um, some of us, we respond to God in giving encouraging you guys, like we've said, if those who are givers and give, and this idea of like partnering together to further the mission of the gospel and wanting to just spread the gospel throughout the valley. And also it's an act of worship to just say, God, everything you've given me is yours, and so we're giving back to you. So there'll be opportunities to give, and we invite you to partner with us in those things. And another way that we respond is in worship. And it's not just, I know if, if you've never been to church before, you guys ever thought about this? Like if you've never been to church before, wouldn't it seem a little weird what we do? 
You know what I mean? Like, why are they all singing these songs? Like, what's going on over there? And they're all facing the same way the whole time, and only one guy talks, and then they all start singing. It's like kind of weird, right? But what we're doing in worship is we are declaring the majesties and the excellencies of God. We are putting our eyes on Jesus first and foremost and responding to his word and who he is by declaring his goodness. And it is a good thing to do. It honors God. He loves it when his children worship. He loves our worship. And it's good for us too because it takes our mind off the difficulties and the problems and the burdens and the hassles and the stresses and the anxieties and the to-do lists. And it turns our attention towards God who's done all for us. And I used to always love to say, it's kind of a goofy analogy, but it's true. If you guys all right now, put your hand on your shoulder. Feel that? You can, that's where burdens tend to carry. If you're carrying something heavy, you might throw it up on your shoulder. There's a lot of space there to carry something, right? But do this. On that same shoulder with your hand there, stick your hand up nice and high. All that space kind of goes away, doesn't it? It's kind of hard to carry things when your arms are lifted. It's true, guys. And a lot of times our bodily posture reflects what we are training our heart to feel on the inside as well. So I want to encourage you guys, worship. And why worship? Because of this. Stand with me really quick, would you? I want you to hear this. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he has set forth in Jesus Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Amen? Meditate on that. Think about that. Pray about that. Understand what God has done for you and called you to. If you've never given your life to him, use this time to respond to him. Come down here and talk to me right while we're singing. Let's pray together. Do business with God. Give to what God is doing and worship and sing. Lift your hands to the God of all creation. The brothers are going to come forward. I kind of messed it up. I had you guys all stand before they do it. I think we're all big boys and girls. We can figure it out today while we're standing. But uh, as they just take advantage of this opportunity to worship God, in Jesus' name, amen? Amen.
thank you so much that you first loved us. We thank you so much for the grace of your son, Lord. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you, God, that, that you poured into us in a time we had nothing to offer, and yet you have acted on our behalf. And then that you would have a plan for our lives, that you would include us in your plan, in your kingdom, in your family. It's a miracle. God, may we never lose our sense of awe at who you are and what you've done. Father, I pray your blessing on everyone here, Lord. As we leave this place, God, may you equip us by your spirit and empower us, Lord, to go, to, to be effective ministers of your grace, Lord, to be um, those who proclaim your gospel, who reach out to others. Lord, help us, Lord, to be those who are perfectly in line with your will, worshiping you, serving you, loving you, and loving others just as you have done for us. We pray these things in your precious son's holy name. In the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. 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 Guys, I hope you guys have a great 4th of July. How many of you guys got the Christmas?